welcome to the Renaissance Christian Church Podcast. We're a church family with the mission of seeking God, serving others, and sharing the gospel. We're grateful that you have joined us as we study through the Bible, and we hope that it brings you encouragement and inspiration for your daily life. Here's Pastor Robert Fonseca. All right, we'll open up to Isaiah chapter 52 as we continue uh, through the book of Isaiah. And the title of this morning's message is The Redemption of Humanity. I don't know about you, but uh, it seems like our world needs to be redeemed, uh, especially in the midst of the current craziness. Uh, we live, unfortunately, in a world of violence, uh, a world of lawlessness, and even in a world of injustice. Uh, has been evident over and been made loud, so to speak, through images uh, in society in general. And unfortunately, that's the ramifications of a world that is ruled and inhabited by sinful people in rebellion against God. This is what he said would happen when God's laws are not obeyed. We see uh, God's commandments even more than ever, on display being rebelled against, like, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor, and you, thou shalt not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or female servant, or his ox or his donkey, maybe that's not being disobeyed right now, but anything else that belongs to your neighbor, I mean, we see that. And again, that's not just happening. Now, that's been going on from the beginning of time. Again, because we, this world is inhabited by sinful and rebellious people. So does that mean there's no hope for our world? Does that mean, hey, this is how it's going to be? Um, well, there's only one solution for the redemption of humanity, and that is the submission of mankind to the sovereign rule of our Lord and a world that follows his precepts and laws would be a perfect world. And for those of you that know Scripture, know that that will not happen in this world, but in the world to come. And this is the same predicament that the nation of Israel was facing at the time uh, of Isaiah when this was written. They were suffering the wrath of the Lord, and they were about to go into captivity. And it looked like there was no hope for them. But the Lord was going to give them hope. He was going to prophesy through Isaiah and remind them that God has not forgotten about them, even in the midst of their chaotic world. Not only that, He was going to give them hope for today, the time that they were living in, and He was going to proclaim to them to give them hope for the future, that their world, their life, will not always be the way that it is. And so let's look at that prophecy, and that's what we're going to read in Isaiah 52, and look at God's call of redemption as he does it through uh, the prophet Isaiah. And look what he says. Let's look at just the first verse. Um, he says this, Awake, awake, clothe yourself in your strength, O Zion. Clothe yourself in your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For the uncircumcised and the unclean will will no more come into you. So the Lord here is actually, I believe, speaking to the 
homeland of Israel, the capital city, Jerusalem in particular. He says that, O Jerusalem, the holy city, to prepare for God's returns, God's people to return. Now they haven't left yet, but he's saying, hey, this is what's going to happen in the future to you, O, uh, o Israel. Right? So he's telling the city to prepare for the homecoming of her people. And that's what you see here in verse 1. He's saying to clothe yourself in strength and clothe yourself in beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. And not only that, he's telling the holy city, you know what? It's going to be cleansed. No longer are the uncircumcised or unclean going to inhabit the land. This city, when Israel is ultimately taken into captivity, or the southern tribes are taken into captivity, the city itself, as we've seen in the past prophecies, is going to be left in shambles, is going to be left as a refuge for wild animals. So he's saying when his people come back to the land, all these things are going to be cleaned up. They're going to be gone. And so it's a joyous occasion. It's like, hey, you're coming back. Again, as I was studying all this week, because I couldn't help but thinking of our church, hey, we're coming back. You know, we had to clean up the church and get it ready for us to come back into the house of God. And so that's the imagery that Isaiah is portraying for his people. Hey, God is going to cleanse the land and get to get it ready for your return. This city will one day see its glory restored. And so that's what we have pictured here in verse 1. And going on to verse 2 now, in God's call to redemption... He is going to call the people to respond now. So first he talks to the city, and then he talks to the people. He says, shake yourself from the dust. Rise up, O captive Jerusalem. Loose, loose yourself from the chains around your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. So here God is calling his people to respond. Hey, the city's ready. I'm calling you back to come back. You know, take the, you know, dust yourself off, so to speak, because they've been beaten down, as we saw last week. You know, at the end of uh, chapter 51, it said that these people were lying down and being walked on, right? They were like being, they were like on the ground and they were being oppressed by their captives. And he's saying, rise up, shake the dust from yourself, remove the chains from your necks. It's time to come home, right? The Lord has swung open, so to speak, the prison gates. The jail cell of your captivity. He swung them wide open and he's prepared for you to come home. He's saying, now you have to get up and come out. This is the picture Isaiah gives to the nation of Israel. And then in verses 3 through 5, it talks a little bit about how this is going to take place. It's God's redemption, how he redeems the nation and it is going to be by grace alone, as we three in, as we see in verses three through five. Now let's read verses three through five. Now it says this: For thus says the Lord, "You were sold for nothing, and you will re- and you will be redeemed without money." For thus says the Lord God: My people went down at first into Egypt to reside there. Then the Assyrians impressed them without cause. Now therefore, what do I have here? Declares the Lord seeing that my people have been taken away without cause. Again, the Lord declares, those who rule over them howl, and my name is continually blasphemed all day long. So here God is talking about how he's going to redeem his own people. The, the, what's pictured here is how God is going to secure their freedom, 
right? They, were, they weren't sold because God owed something to somebody. We talked a little bit about this last week. He's saying, you, you were sold for nothing and you're going to be redeemed for nothing. I don't owe anything to anybody, the Lord said. I put you there in captivity and I'm going to take you out by my grace alone. I'm going to do those things. I've secured your freedom because I desired to do it. And it wasn't like the nation had deserved to be redeemed, right? They deserved to be punished, as we've been studying over the past few weeks. They deserve to be in the place that they are. They have forgotten God. God has not forgotten them, we learned last week. Again, He sent them into captivity, and He is going to take them out uh, on His own volition. He doesn't need anybody's permission. He's doing it of His own free will. And this is an example of God's love in action, right? It happened in their past captivity. That's the reference he gives when they went down into Egypt, right? This was in reference to their seeking help earlier. They went to the nation of Egypt to call for help, and the Assyrians captured them um, or fought against them, and God delivered them out of the Assyrians' hands. He's saying, I can do it again. Even though you're going to go into captivity into Babylon, I'm going to deliver you again uh, I'm going to glorify my own name, right? And he's doing it because he's not going to let his name be blasphemed all day long, as it says here that that's what's going on. God's not going to allow that to, to go on forever. God will exact justice on a people who continually rebel against him. And so this is what God is telling the nation. He's like, I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to prepare the city. You need to come in. You need to come on your own. I have prepared this place for you, so to speak. And then in verse 6, verse 6 reveals God's character to the nation. He says this, Therefore my people, right? because all that he's going to do, therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore that day I am the one who is speaking. Here I am. So God's going to reveal his character to his, to his people. When it says, they shall know my name, that's speaking of God's character. Right? He's known by his name. His name says who he is. It describes his character. He's saying, they're going to know exactly who I am because I'm going to deliver them. I'm going to display my mercy and faithfulness. That's why they could say God is merciful. God is faithful. God's going to reveal his character in his deliverance of his people. And in the last half of verse 6, another therefore, he says, Therefore in that day, that day that they come home, I am the one who is speaking, here I am. This speaks to God's faithfulness. God is saying, I'm going to do exactly what I said I was going to do. I'm the one that said I was going to do this, and I'm doing it. Here I am. You guys think I've forgotten about you, but here I am to deliver you. And so in God's redemption, he's going to reveal who he is through uh, the nation being coming back home. And so that's what we see in verse 6, God's uh, character and God's faithfulness to what he says. And we see that throughout Scripture over and over. Even Jesus many times told his disciples, I'm telling you this so that when it happens, you will believe. You will know that I am the one who was sent by the Father. And so here we see it in the Old Testament as well. So let's look at God's redemptive plan in verses 7 through 10. It's, it's really a triumphant, like really triumphant uh, section of Scripture right here. So look at verses 7 through 10 in your Bibles here. It says this, How lovely, 
on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. So here we see that there's a picture of somebody coming to announce that the Lord is coming back. The Lord is going to call you to himself. And Isaiah is saying, how lovely is that person that does that? Think of that. When you get good news, it's great that you're getting news, but you also say, thank you so much for bringing that good news. You kind of bless the messenger. Like, oh, so glad you came to tell me that. And that's what Isaiah is picturing here. How lovely are the feet of him who brings the good news. And he brings good news of peace. He's telling Israel, there's going to be peace again. We're going to be free from this captivity. We're going to have happiness and we're going to have salvation, he says. And ultimately, all this is going to happen because God is going to reign over the people again. And that's why God brings them back to their land and their, of Jerusalem. And so, verse 8, therefore, is a call for, excuse me. Yeah, let's read verse 8. Verse 8 is a call to more people, or an example of more people worshiping. It's a picture of somebody sitting on, a, you know, on the ramparts of a wall and they see the messenger coming and look at what it says. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. They shout joyfully together for they will see with their own lies when the Lord restores Zion. So it's a picture of one, seeing the messenger and two, seeing the restoration. They see it happening and they're getting excited that Israel is going to be restored to their land. They're going to be freed from captivity. So the watchmen are lifting up their voices and shouting joyfully because they see with their own eyes the Lord restoring his people. Then he continues on in verse 9 with this shout of praise. He says, break forth, shout joyfully together, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. And so the picture here is of now the, the land is singing and praising God because the people are coming back. Because God is restoring not only his people, but the land. And then he moves on to verse 10. The Lord has bared his holy arm. So the God is working. God is showing his strength. And he's doing it, verse 10 says, in the sight of all the nations. So everyone's going to see Israel restored to their homeland. And he says that all the ends of the earth may see the salvation of our God. So all those people who are holding Israel captive at the time when this happens, they're going to see God's mighty work, God's hand move. And if you read in Ezra and Nehemiah, you see that where I think it is, if I'm not mistaken, Cyrus, the king of the Persians, is saying that God moved me, you know, basically to let the people return. So even the unbelieving nations see God's work happening in the lives of his people. It's a witness of the Lord's power for everybody to see. And so with all that said, we come to the conclusion of this section in verses 11, 12, where now it is time for somebody to, or really for Israel to respond to all that is happening. Right? God has prepared the land. God has swung open the, their captivity, their, their, the, like the jail cells open, and the nation is inside the jail cells, so to speak. And now what, he says, what does he say to do? Look, he says, depart, depart, go out from there. Touch nothing unclean. Go out of the midst of her. Purify yourselves, you who carry the vessels of the Lord. 
but you will not go out in haste, nor will you go out as fugitives, for the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. This is a beautiful picture of God's redemption. So he first begins by saying, hey, leave, depart, depart, go out from there. It's like, hey, the gate's open, let's go. Come on, let's go. Leave captivity, Israel. Don't just sit there. God's done everything he can to make salvation available to you. Now it's time for you to respond. How foolish would it be for them to just sit there? No, I'm just going to stay here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait for uh, somebody to come get me. It's like the gate's wide open. Go, go. Or no, I kind of like it in here. I kind of like these shackles around my neck and people walking all over me. I'm going to stay right here. I, I think, or I'm going to wait till I can free myself. I don't want the Lord to open the gates for me. I'm going to do it on my own. No, the Lord's saying, Isaiah's saying, depart, depart, go out from here. And when they go out, he says, touch nothing unclean, go out of the midst of, of her. Purify yourselves, you who carry the vessels of the Lord. This is talking about purification. Part of leaving captivity and coming back to your home as you need to purify yourself because you're going to be in the presence of the Lord. He's telling them to purify themselves. Touch nothing unclean. It talks about their holy living and living right before the Lord. So not only are they set free, but they have to keep their end of the covenant by living according to God's laws. And I like the picture that he he gives us here about, hey, you're not going to go out in haste nor will you go out as fugitives, right? When, when God frees Israel, again, if you read Ezra and Nehemiah, they don't sneak out the back door, right? They're given letters. Nehemiah's given a letter as well to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. They're given lumber and supplies, all types, and then God blesses them as they go out from captivity. And as I mentioned earlier, they're giving uh, decrees that, hey, nobody touches these people as they go back to the land. God has moved me to tell these people to return home. God's like, you don't have to sneak out. I'm going to do a mighty work so much that I'm going to lead you. He says, I'm going to be before you. So it's a picture of God leading his people out of captivity. And then he says, I'm going to be the rear guard and I'm going to protect you along the way. That's a beautiful picture of God's uh, totality of his protection in the life of his people. He's going to lead you and he's going to guard you. He's going to be in front of you and he's going to be in back of you. The nation doesn't have to sneak out and look over their back that, hey, maybe they're going to come after us. No, this is a picture of God's complete deliverance. And as I stated at at the beginning, this prophecy for the nation was to remind them that God has not forgotten you. Hey, you guys are going to go through some hard times, but I'm not forgetting about you. I'm going to be with you. He's given them hope for that very moment that they need it, and then also letting them peer into the future that there's going to be a future hope when you get home. And so I hope you see the picture that's painted here because you could easily, and I'm going to easily transition to these same prophecies are for God's people today, right? God has not forgotten us. God gives us hope for today, and God gives us hope for our future. These same prophecies are laid out for us now, 
And let me close with this application, with those points. And number one would be this. God has promised a coming redemption for his people. Right? We are redeemed now as God's people, but there's even a greater redemption. There's even a greater redemption to come. Turn with me to uh, the Gospel of John as we leave Isaiah here. And we're going to look at verses 14, 1 through 3 where Jesus talks about this to his disciples of something greater to come. He says this, and this is perfect because it's, he's comforting his disciples. The disciples know that something bad's going to happen, but he wants to comfort them, remind them that there's something even greater to come. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Right? Don't be afraid, but believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you myself, that where I am, there you may be also. This is what is pictured in Isaiah for his people, Israel, right? He's saying, hey, you're, I'm going to prepare Jerusalem, the holy city for you. And then I'm going to go get you and lead you and bring you back to a place where I am, my city. And again, that's how the Old Testament pictures God's beautiful redemption in the New Testament. That's just one example of that. God says, hey, church, me and you guys out here and you guys watching, if you're his children, I have a better place that I'm preparing for you right now. That should give us hope that, hey, with all the craziness in our lives and all the craziness of our world, all the ups and downs that, hey, there's a place coming, our future redemption that God is preparing for us. I, I can't imagine what that place would look like. If you've traveled around even our country and in different places in, in the world, there's some beautiful places in this world. Could you imagine what God is preparing for? And this world is tainted with sin, right? The, the, the creation moans uh, and groans for God to restore creation. Imagine a restored creation. How beautiful that's going to be. Right? We don't have to wear masks or worry about disease anymore. It's, it's a hope for the future. It's something to look forward to, to comfort us in this time. So God is saying, hey, I've, I've prepared a place for my people. Uh, turn to First uh, Peter Chapter uh, 1, look at verses 3 and 6. So this also talks about giving hope for this future. In 1 Peter, the apostle writes this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again, and we sung about this, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Right? Because of what Jesus has done, we've been resurrected to a living hope. And look at this, to obtain an inheritance, which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation to be revealed in the last time. That's talking about the Lord's second coming. So there's something in the future that's going to be revealed. And it's going to be so awesome. It's, it's going to be undefiled, imperishable, and it will never fade away. In verse 6, look at what it says. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now, 
And how relevant is this? Even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. We've all been distressed by various trials. You know, even if you're not too, too stressed out about the current, you know, virus, or you're not troubled by the violence and stuff going on in our world, there are various, there are ver- other various trials that each and every one of us go through. And he's saying, guess what? This is just temporary. The same message Isaiah has been giving to his people. Hey, the captivity you're going to go through and suffer is only temporary, but what God has lasts forever. And this is what he's saying in verse 6. And this you greatly rejoice. Rejoice, why? Because it's something that we have to look forward to. And it's going to last forever. And so God has a promised coming redemption for each and every one of us, for us collectively as his people. And I even want to show you where in the Bible it talks about creation knows this too, and creation moans and, and, and aches for this. Turn to the book of Romans. I mean, we could go through tons of verses about the Lord's second coming and, and how the world rejoices and how people are rejoicing, but you know, we, we just need a few verses to make the point. So look in Romans chapter 8, and we're going to look at verses 18 through 25. And again, it's appropriate because he's addressing, hey, just, you know, the the trials and tribulation that each and every one of us go through in this fallen world. And he says this, for I consider, this is the Apostle Paul, he says, for I consider that the suffering at this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Again, he's talking about a future revelation, and it's really God's future final redemption consummated at his second coming. He's saying, hey, all that I'm going through right now, it's not, it's not even going to compare to what's in store for us. But this little bit of pain that we're suffering, it's not going to compare to what's coming. And look at verse 19. He says, for The anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption and to freedom and the glory of the children of God. See, as I mentioned earlier, even our world is held in captivity, some type of captivity because of sin. And here's verse 22 that I've been referencing. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our body, that final redemption at God's second coming. In hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one also hope for what he sees? But if we hope, but if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. Right? All of us, or none of us has seen, you know, what's in store for us, but we hope eagerly for it. You know, and he compares it to the to you know the the pains of childbirth. You know, I remember when uh, Mindy was pregnant, and those were painful. Not that I experienced it, but uh, the childbirth is a painful experience. But once the baby comes out, 
like mom forgets about all that. And she's even ready to have another one. I'm like, don't you remember all that pain that you went through? You want another one? But no, it's like, it's worth it if you get this beautiful little child. Nothing compares to that. And so this is the comparison. This is what uh, Paul is comparing. The, hey, creation right now is going through birth pains. There's going to be bumps and, and there's going to be, you know, bruises and things aren't going to go right in this world as we see. But guess what? There's something better coming. And again, this is what Isaiah was telling Israel. And this is what the Lord is telling his people today. God has a promise coming redemption for each and every one of us. Don't you want to know what that looks like? I know I do. Well, let's get a little glimpse into some of it. In the book of Revelation, God's promised redemption is really going to bring about eternal bliss. Right? He said in Isaiah, when the redemption comes, there's going to be peace, good news, happiness, salvation. All those things are described, or you could feel those things, in Revelation chapter 21 Verses 1 through 6. This is the coming redemption at the Lord's second coming. Look at what's going to come. He says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is the entire earth redeemed. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Do you see that picture back in Isaiah where he says, clothe yourself with strength, make yourself beautiful? God is making the world beautiful, or he's going to prepare a place for us that is beautiful. Like a bride adorned for her husband. Think of a bride prepared beautifully to be presented to her husband. This is the picture the Lord is giving uh, to us that the world that he has created or that he's going to bring to us is like a beautiful bride adorned for her husband. And then it says in verse 3 of Revelation 21, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people and God himself shall be among them. See, when God brings about redemption, the greatest thing about eternity is that God will be there. God sovereign will sovereignly rule throughout all eternity. And as a result of that, look at what the Lord will do. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, and there shall no longer be any mourning or, mourning or crying or pain, the first, thing, the first things have passed away. That pictures happiness, right? Peace. There's nothing to cry over anymore. There's no more, nothing to be sad about at the coming redemption of the Lord. Right? All those things that, that we go through now and we suffer now will be gone. That's, that is, let's like, that's why we say, hey, come now, Lord Jesus, right? Come now. We want to experience that now. And, and going on in verse 5, and he, and he sits, and he who sits on this, the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Right? Everything that this world hopes for now peace, justice, uh, equality, 
all those things will finally will be revealed in Christ at his new creation, at his new, in his new heavens and new earth, and it'll be what God calls justice, peace, and equality. It will be on his terms because he rules and reigns. He's going to make all things new. He said, right, for these words are faithful and true, right? Because God said it, it's going to happen. We saw that in Isaiah, and here it is in the New Testament. He says, write these things down, John, because these things are faithful and true. Verse 6, and he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will go Excuse me, I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. And he who overcomes shall inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. And what also makes, here's a picture in verse 8, just that, you know, everything evil will not be there. Look at what he says in verse 8. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers, and immoral persons, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Remember I mentioned those who continually and willfully disobey God will be subject to His wrath. And that's what's pictured here in Revelation. You see, God's promised redemption will bring eternal bliss. It will bring peace it will bring happiness. It will bring salvation. And His sovereign rule will be evident throughout the entire new heaven and new earth. We will have a leader like we've never seen before. You know, we, sometimes we pin hopes on world leaders and political leaders or political parties, but they will never be able to do this or sustain this. No world leader throughout world history has ever been able to do that. Why? Because they're sinful and they refuse to subject themselves to the authority of God totally. It isn't until the Lord comes and establishes His sovereign rule that we will have real peace, real happiness, and true salvation. And that's what we should be seeking for as a people. And finally, God's promise, this promise, redemption, is offered to each and every person in this world. Remember what God told Israel, hey, I've prepared, I've prepared the city, I've opened the gates of your jail cell, now come out. The same thing is being said to each and every one of us today who do not yet know the Lord as our Savior. He's saying, I've already made salvation available to you. I've paid the price for you. I've opened, I've flung open the gates of your jail cell, of your captivity Now you have to rise up and leave the jail cell. Depart from your captivity. Repent of your sins and come to me. And again, you can see the picture. Some people say, no, I don't want to. I don't want your salvation. I don't need you to release me from this jail cell. I like these chains on me, so to speak. God gives each and every person in this world a choice. I've made salvation available I've done all the work. It's made uh, possible because my son died on the cross for you. And if you just sit in the jail cell and say, no, I don't want it, then you will suffer the consequences of that. God will eventually close that jail cell and throw away the key and you'll be locked for all eternity in it because you refuse to leave. 
Think of that. Think of people in your own life who say, you know what, I don't want that. I, I kind of like these, these, these uh, chains that I'm in. I'm, and you can see people literally in bondage to their sins. They don't think they need deliverance. And God's saying, I've delivered you. Get up and come out. How foolish is it to stay there and say, no, I don't want to. Again, I'm going to do it my way. You know, the sad thing is that, you know, I think, I wish God would make everybody do it, but for some reason he doesn't. Each and every one of us is held accountable for our own decisions. And even those of you in this room, just because you're in this room doesn't mean that you're out of that spiritual jail cell. Each and every one of you need to make that choice yourself. I can't make that choice for my children. My children can't make that choice for me. Your, your spouse can't make that choice for you. Your relative can't make that choice for you. Each and every one of us has to get up ourselves and leave that jail cell. We need to depart from our captivity and repent of our sins. And not, what happens next? We need to cleanse ourselves, right? He told Israel, get out and purify yourselves. What does that mean? That means believing on the work of Christ. That's the only way we can purify ourselves. We don't make ourselves, you know, clean. We don't become good people. And if I do so many good deeds, then I'm cleansed. No, the only thing that cleanses you from your sins is your repentance and your believing on Jesus Christ doing the work for you. So when he says repent and come out, purify yourselves, he's meaning cleanse yourself by believing in the work of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. And finally, what do you do at that? You have to follow him. Remember, he told Israel, I'm going to lead you and I'm going to guard you. That's a picture of us following him. We repent of our sins. We believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and we follow him as he leads us through this world to our ultimate redemption at his second coming. That's a beautiful picture in Isaiah of what is available to each and every one of us, right? Some of us have already answered that call. We, we've left the jail cell, right, so to speak. Some of us came kicking and screaming. Sometimes we want to go back and look in that jail cell, so to speak. But no, God's saying, no, I've cleansed you from that. You believed on me, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead you, and I'm going to guard you. I'm not going to let you go back all the way again. No, I'm going to grab you and discipline you and bring you back, and we're going to move forward until I return and give you total, eternal peace. And again, that's available to each and every one of us. So let's close with this. For those of us who have already been redeemed, those of us who are the redeemed of the Lord, let us remember the promise that the Lord has given to us, that this is hope for today. That no matter what's going on in this world, God is leading us and God is, God is guarding us and He's going to get us to the end. He's with us the whole time. And for that, we should rejoice and worship the Lord because of what He's done for us and what He continues to do. And we should be like that messenger to go out and proclaim this truth to other people. And for those of you this morning who's, who would say, you know what, I, I'm still in my jail cell. And for those of you that feel the Spirit of God saying, you know what, I, I want to get out. I'm tired of sitting here and being here and being held captive to my sins or to whatever it is that is holding you captive, I call you this morning to depart from your captivity, which means repent. Repent of your sins. Tell the Lord you're sorry for your sins against Him, that you agree that what, the way you've been living, the things that you've been doing are a sin, 
and you agree with him and you're going to turn from them. And not only that, cleanse yourself by believing in the work of, of Christ, what he's done for you. He's paid that price for you already. He's suffered the wrath of God for you on the cross. All you need to do is believe that and accept that truth. And then follow him. Let him lead you out of captivity. Let him guard you and protect you until the day of his redemption. Let's pray. Lord God, this morning we thank you so much for your word. Lord, how it always speaks to each and every person if they have ears to hear and eyes to see what the Spirit says. And this morning, Lord God, those of us who have been redeemed, we thank you so much for that redemption. We thank you, Lord, for taking us out of captivity and for cleansing us and for putting us on the right track to follow you. And we thank you for guarding over us and watching over us in the midst of all the craziness in our lives. And Lord, we look forward to that day when we will be with you for all eternity, when we will finally see you face to face, when we will experience a redeemed creation, where there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more crying, no more death, and there's nothing to be afraid of anymore, for all those things are outside of your reign for all eternity. And Lord God, we look forward to that day and we pray, Lord, that you would help us to share that with those that we love in this world and with the rest of this world that is clamoring for peace, that is clamoring for happiness and salvation, but they will not find it here, but only in you. May we share that with them with, with humility and in love. And for those this morning, Lord God, as I mentioned, who have yet to leave those prison chains. I pray, Lord God, that they would hear your call and they would rise up, that they would take that step of faith and believe in you and believe in the work that you have done for them. And in faith, they would follow you all the days of their life. We pray this now, and it's in your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us in today's study. If you'd like to know more about us or where you can attend one of our services, you can find information online at www.ren.church. That's R-E-N dot church. Thanks for listening.